Thank you, Chris, and uh, thank you to those who uh, have taken part today. It's, uh, it's good to, uh, to be able to share together. And we're, uh, we're continuing in the study uh, in the book of Genesis, and uh, those who have been coming to the church for a long time will remember that we did a study in the first few chapters of Genesis um, quite some time ago, and now of more recent times we're looking at the... Uh, the latter uh, or the next section. I think we only went up to about chapter 12 and now we've moved on from chapter 12 into this next section and we've been looking at that over the past few weeks. Um, And today uh, we're really looking at chapter uh, 22 and also chapter 23. So we'll see how we go and uh, just how far we get. Tracy's read to us. Thank you, Tracy, from uh, chapter 22. You'll be glad to know that I stopped you at verse 20 and you didn't have those few little verses after that to contend with, but we'll look at them a bit later. The sacrifice of uh, Isaac is really uh, the ultimate uh, faith and obedience as the Uh, title to today's message uh, in the In Touch says. Uh, I think if I was naming today's message I might have had a different title to it. I might have called it something like you want me to do what? (laughs) Uh, Because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, at a first reading. Chapter 22 uh, really shows the way God uh, dealt with Uh, with uh, Abraham and tested him and then toward the end of chapter 22 we have a few verses and they give us a little insight into some of the planning that God is involved in behind the scenes and then over in chapter 23 we see part of a master plan uh, as it relates to uh, where a number of these key people in the book of Genesis are going to be buried. So God is working in all these different areas. Uh, This is no doubt the greatest test that Abraham would have ever had to contend with in his life. And uh, you couldn't couldn't blame Abraham for asking, are we there yet? Like all of the issues that have happened in his life, the, the learning and the relearning and the experience that he's had, you couldn't blame him for saying, Surely we've arrived, you know, we've got there. But as we know in life, life is a case of learning and relearning and revisiting situations and, uh, and we've all uh, got feet of clay and it takes a while before we really get the lesson sometimes. Um, God is asking Abraham to let go of the two most important things in his life, his son Isaac and his lifelong partner Sarah. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll think about how that unfolds for us. Uh, when God tests us, his methods don't always seem to make sense to us. And there's also another story that's running through this particular chapter and the verses that Tracy read to us. Now, our daughter Kim, is uh, she's a bit of a keen movie buff and if you want to watch something, Kim will have it. It'll be in a DVD or it'll be in a copy or it'll be somewhere. She will have it somehow, some way. And uh, so one of the things that I do find with the things that she has, there's often a sequel 
to, uh, to what, uh, what you watch. And you see it when you watch TV programs. There's often a sequel to the program and they give you just a little bit of a snippet about uh, what you can uh, expect to see in the next episode and they just whet your appetite because they're painting a picture of what's yet to happen. And I think we find very much here in chapter 22 that it's like that. There is a picture here of firstly the testing of Abraham but there's a very clear picture too of how God is going to provide a saviour for uh, his people some 2,000 odd years after this event in Abraham's life and we've celebrated a bit of that today with, uh, with communion. You know, uh, as we took the bread this morning and the cup, Abraham looked forward in faith to what God was going to do and in this chapter, it's not our key focus for this morning but I want to say that God was already planning what we celebrated this morning and Abraham, it was 2,000 years into the future but what we've celebrated this morning is 2,000 years into the past Isn't that amazing that that God in his word was planning that we would be doing this one day and uh, we do it looking back in faith to what Christ accomplished at Calvary but Abraham and the people of the Old Testament looked forward in faith to what God would one day provide in a Messiah and so that also runs through this chapter and through this theme and although there is a story here about Abraham and that stands in its own right. There is also a very significant uh, underlying story about God's ultimate provision for us. That's not primarily my focus today. Uh, we know that story well and, I, uh, and we get great encouragement from it but I want to spend more time thinking about uh, this testing of Abraham To recap, let's reflect for a minute just on uh, some of the reoccurring themes in Abraham's life. God makes promises and Abraham responds to them. Sometimes he responds well and sometimes not so well. Yet through it all, his relationship with God is growing and that's important for us today. We don't always respond as we ought to to the issues that God brings into our lives and to the experiences that we have but we should be able to grow through them. What did God promise Abraham? Well in chapter 12 he would make him into a great nation that he would bless him and make his name great that all the people of the earth would be blessed through him and he promised him land as well. God made these promises to Abraham while he was living in Haran which is modern day northern uh, uh, Iraq He had already gone from uh, the south uh, of Iraq from a place called Ur and he'd come to Haran where he was given more promises by God. So he moves to the land God promises him, a land of course that we know today as Israel, the promised land. Now the challenge that hangs over Abraham's life is will he trust God and it's a challenge that's repeated again and again and again. At first he gets uh, things together and he heads to the promised land and during this time we see both trust and lack of trust. He walks into the promised land, he seems to wander out of it. When he's in the land he seems to be obedient uh, to God's call. Then Then he seems to wander off and he messes things up. And in his heart and mind 
he wonders over even the bigger issues, I suppose. Uh, God had promised him a son, but he and Sarah uh, had got into a huge mess by trying to sort that one out themselves. And uh, it's not much different for us today. We haven't learnt a lot as people down. We're we're 4,000 years hence from when uh, God spoke to Abraham. But uh, Abraham and Sarah tried to fix some certain issues themselves and we know there were enormous consequences because of that and, and we live with those consequences today. And it's the same for us today. We still try and um, maybe hurry along the processes and the purposes of God because they don't happen to fit exactly how we wanted them to or into whatever circumstances we like. Uh, So we're not a whole lot different really in that sense. We're still, uh, I I guess, uh, as God's people, we're on a journey just like Abraham and, uh, and sometimes we wander in the right direction and sometimes we wander off in the wrong direction and uh, that's us. The wonder, and you know the good thing about it, God knows that because he created us. He knows our heart, he knows our humanness, he knows our feet of clay and he knows that if we get it wrong and we come back to him, he can dust us off and put us back on the path and get us heading in the right direction. The wonder of God's grace is that he continues to make more promises to Abraham even despite how he behaved. Not only promises but he also makes good on his promise and finally Isaac is born. How much like Abraham we are, we believe and then we don't believe. One day we act in trust, the next day we don't act in trust. We have periods in our life when we walk well and we journey well with God. We have periods in our life when it seems like we're in a desert place and it's not so good. Yet through it all we may uh, run hot and cold but God is faithful. He never changes. God is always there. He hasn't gone anywhere. He is faithful. He's always dependable. He's always reliable. He's always loving and he's always all of these things towards each one of us. You could, uh, I've said it here before, you know, you... um, you could not put a man on the moon if God was not dependable because you'd send the space shuttle up there and the thing would have moved because the planners would have decided to put it somewhere else, so to move the goalposts. But in God's creation, everything is orderly, everything is perfect, everything is as God planned and nothing changes. Uh, we're the ones who change and uh, we, we might run well for a while then we don't run Uh, as well as we ought to but as we come back to God we find that he is the one who is always faithful. For many of us today there is that's all we need to really know and be reminded of that God uh, is always there for us and will always do the very best for us always and sometimes we don't really need to know any more than that we just need to know God loves us God cares for us God wants the very best for us And beyond that, in our simple ways, we don't really need to know much more. It's a wonderful place to be. But sometimes we like to know a bit more as well. And as we uh, move on now into the chapter, at a first glance, what God asks Abraham to do seems a horrible thing. Why would he ask him to sacrifice his son? What sort of a God would ask such a thing? Is what God is now asking of Abraham to do out of character for God? Or is there more going on here than just a casual glance? Verse 1 clearly says God tested Abraham. 
What's it mean when he says God tests Abraham? Is he setting him a, an exam, uh, trying to see what Abraham is really like, uh, to see if he's really uh, what's really going on in his heart? Does the God who created the the universe really not know what's going on in those that he created? Uh, and by the way, does God not know what's going on in our hearts, what's going on in our lives, what, what issues we face? This is the God who created everything and so of course he knows. Does God who sees all things and can deeply see into our hearts not really know what's going on? Well, of course not. He knows exactly where we are today. He knows what our hurts are. He knows what our struggles are. He knows what our family situations uh, might be. They might be difficult at the moment. He knows that. Uh, he knows what our health situation's like. He knows what the temptations that we face are like. He knows everything. There's nothing that he doesn't know. So he already knew all there was to know about Abraham and yet he still has Abraham go through this process. He knows things about us that you know you would never tell your closest friend or the remotest stranger. But God still knows. Knows everything. There's nothing absolutely nothing about us that God is not privy to and knows. So it's not a test in the sense that the answer is unknown. This is more of a test uh, asking, does Abraham really trust God? All the previous studies have been asking the same thing really, does Abraham trust God? Does he trust the promises? This is a really significant test and it's even uh, more than simply asking Abraham to kill his son and you might say, well, what could be bigger than that? You would think that that would be as big as it would get. But let's not forget that Isaac uh, was the means, uh, meant far more to Abraham than just simply being his flesh and blood. If you go back to verse 2, we see uh, what does God say? He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Now something's very wrong here because Isaac is not Abraham's only son. Uh, he had a son by the slave girl Hagar, Ishmael. We know that. And uh, Abraham loved Ishmael. But God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Has God got it wrong? No. Isaac is the only son uh, in one very important way, in regard to the promise that God had made to Abraham. And God does not compromise on his principles. That's why he only recognises Isaac. Chapter 17 um, and verse 20 and 21, uh, let me read them to you. We have something of the covenant uh, that he made. Uh, chapter 17 and verse 20 and 21 says this, uh, As for Ishmael, I have heard you, I will surely bless you. I know, I've just got to make sure I've got the right one. Yeah, uh, yes, yes, sorry. Um, As for Ishmael, I have heard you, I will surely bless him, I will make him fruitful and will increase, uh, greatly increase his numbers. He will be a father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah bore to you by this time next year. So God was making it very clear that the covenant was with Isaac 
yet now God is calling on Abraham to kill Isaac. The issue for Isaac, for Abraham is, can he trust God enough to kill the one through whom God promised the future would come? All of the promises God had made to Abraham are bound up in this boy Isaac and now God says killing. The issue of promise and trust couldn't be any more real for Abraham than they are at this point. Does Abraham trust God to make good on the covenant even if he kills Isaac? In Hebrews 11 and verse 17 down to verse 19 it gives us some insight into what might have been going on in Abraham's mind at this time. He believes, if we read those verses, that God could raise Isaac from the dead. At, that, uh, at this point, uh, I assume that Abraham responded in his mind that God could do anything and everything and so he could raise Isaac from the dead. It's because of this belief and faith that he could consider the course of action that he was going to take. And verse 5 brings, this out, uh, brings out this belief. We will go and worship, he says to the people, wait here and, uh, and then I and the boy will come again uh, and we will come back to you. So I guess he didn't know how God was going to work it out but he knew that it was going to happen if he trusted God. Now, just think about your own life for a minute or two. How much will you or do you trust God regardless uh, of how challenging the situation might be? Can you trust him to deliver you in any and every situation that you find yourself? In your work situations when they're not easy, when you're challenged to do perhaps something that's not quite true to your Christian faith, can you trust him in that? Can you trust him with your family situation when it's not working out how you would like it to, uh, hasn't come together just exactly as you'd expected that it would? Can you trust him in that? Can you trust him with your marriage that might have some difficulties attached to it and some challenges? Can you work through that? Can you trust him with your future, just what God might, uh, might lead you into? Or will you uh, not trust him and just charge ahead and do whatever you want to do regardless of whether it's right or not? The dishonest deal, the unhealthy relationship, the video that you know you shouldn't be watching, will you abandon the thought of trusting God and, and, and following his choice or do you take the other option and do the things that suit yourself? If we trust God and we do what he wants us to do, it may not always be an easy road. I was thinking about this and just some examples and one of the things that came into my mind was a, an old family friend of ours, uh, Margaret uh, and Laurie. Uh, a number of older people here will know those, that couple. They were in my home church in Ballarat and uh, I grew up, I was quite young when they went as missionaries to the Chad and uh, he was a carpenter, uh, builder like, uh, like I am and I liked Laurie and we got on well and he was of course a bit older than I am and, uh, and uh, they went to the Chad and you know they had a number of sons and they had one daughter and you know while they were in the Chad their daughter drowned and had to bury her in that country 
And I've often thought about that, the cost, the enormous cost of doing what they believed was God's will in their lives. And yet now they're, they're getting older and yet they're still in the race. They live in Sydney, they're still actively involved in God's word, they're still at work, they're still motivated to share the, the work of the gospel and uh, committed to it. And yet they had such an enormous tragedy in their lives because they believed God called them to go and do something and they did it and they trusted but it was not an easy road. And I would not want to be fooling you today to suggest that you will not have difficulties in the Christian life. That is the life that God calls us to. It has challenges and uh, there are times of difficulties and dark times but he is always there with us. We can take encouragement today that as we journey through life we can trust God with anything and everything that happens, our money, our ministry, our family. Think about what could you trust God with today, something that's difficult in your life. What can you trust him with that perhaps you haven't been and, uh, and reflect on that. In the middle of all this, Isaac asks, uh, by the way, Dad, where's the meat for the sacrifice? And Abraham in verse 8 says, God himself will provide. And so they build an altar and Isaac helps build the altar and Abraham lays him on it and he takes up his knife ready to kill him. And then we see in verse 11, the angel of the Lord calls out to him, do not harm him. And this is the same one who had previously made the promises to Abraham, the same one who uh, took him outside of the tent and said, look up into the heavens and see the stars and so will your, uh, your offspring be. The same one who dealt graciously with Hagar in the desert, the same one who made promises about Isaac, the same one who responded uh, with... Um, uh, sorry, the same one who Abraham reasoned with over what was going to happen in Sodom. And in verse 12 we read, Do not lay a hand on the boy, for now I know you have not held, withheld from me your son. And Abraham's healthy respect of God, referred to as his fear of God, uh, gives us a, a, a glimpse into the, into the fact that a true understanding of what God is like and after 25 years of following his promises, Abraham understands who God is. Not just what he's like but who he is. And he knows God is faithful, keeps his promises and that he's trustworthy. Now what we see here is also a casting of a shadow forward as to uh, what is part of God's master plan. In verse 2 God uh, told uh, his son, uh, God uh, sorry, Abraham is told in verse 2 where to take his son, uh, go to the region of Moriah and if we went, back to, uh, we went over to Chronicles we would read there that Solomon began to build a temple on Mount Moriah and this is where Jerusalem is built and so if you take the time to study and follow all these themes through you find that God has a plan and a purpose and not only for what's happening in Abraham's life and Isaac's uh, life at that time but also what is going to happen on into the future. Uh, Isaac was offered in this region of Moriah uh, and he was there as a burnt offering and that is clearly to us today a picture of what we have celebrated here in this time of communion that Jesus was to be a sin offering for the whole world, a sacrifice for you and I. 
the sacrifice provided by God uh, just as the ram was provided as a substitute for Isaac. And Jesus went to the cross confident uh, that he gave himself to die for you and I, absolutely confident that God would raise him from the dead. Absolutely confident in what God would do. Now, can you believe today that God can work in any situation that you find yourself in? There is, it has nothing to do with our feelings about whether we feel that God can do it or not. It has everything to do with the fact of what God is able to do. Uh, feelings deceive us. One day we're up, aren't we, and we're on top of the world and another day we're discouraged. And, uh, but the facts of what God can do never change. God did not ask us to do anything that he is not prepared to do himself. He asked Abraham to sacrifice his son and actually Abraham didn't have to do that, but God did. God gave us that sacrifice of the person of Jesus to bring about our forgiveness and our restoration to him. Abraham had learnt uh, what it was to hold on to things loosely so that he could let go Uh, if that was what God wanted. Let go of unrealised dreams, let go of our adult children, let go of the hurts, let go of the toys and the trinkets that get in the way to holding on to God tightly. Maybe for you today there's something you need to let go of, something you're holding on to that holds you back from the very best that God uh, wants for you. In chapter 22, at the end of the chapter, we're given a little glimpse of a genealogy. Let me just read it to you. Um, And you might wonder why it's here. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor, Uz, the firstborn of Buzz, his brother Camille, the father of Amran, Kized, Hazo, Piladesh, Jibla and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore uh, these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor, his concubine, whose name was Reamah, also uh, and also had sons Tabar, Gaham, Tanash, and Makar. Could have been easier if it was Brett and Tracy and so on, but. You get, you get the picture. It's a, it's a great list of names. Why are they here? We've just had this story about God testing Abraham. We've had a story as to why God wanted to deal in such a way that, Abra- that, that he could see the depth of Abraham's commitment to him and then we get this list of names. What are they there for? Is it just a genealogy? Something to learn? It seems strange tacked in the middle of all this story but there is a reason. There's all, there, <laughs> Chris, there is always a reason. God never does anything that there's not a purpose to. So God is telling us how he spared Isaac for a reason, I think. He has a plan. He always does. Hundreds of miles away, he's preparing Rebecca. That's why this genealogy is here. In the middle of all those names is Rebecca's name 
and God is preparing Rebekah as a young girl for Isaac who Abraham spared on the altar and who God uh, has a plan for to bless the nations through. And so God is working through, uh, and that's why we have this genealogy here, uh, getting her ready uh, to be one of the mothers through whom the covenant would be fulfilled. And God is always, God is always, always, always working behind the scenes. We don't know it sometimes and we don't see it. We just come off this, uh, this extraordinary story of Abraham being, being challenged to kill his own son, the, God, the son of promise. And yet we have this little genealogy with, the, with that simple little name, Rebecca, and it gives us an insight to the way nothing, nothing, nothing ever happens by chance in our lives. God knows everything that there is about us to know and he has plans and purposes that involve us all. God is always working for our good. Can you look back at something that might have happened in your life today and be strengthened in your faith because you can see that God was in it? I was thinking a bit about that and I thought of some examples. Tracy shared with us some time ago here in a testimony that she came into the life of the church here because a neighbour, another member, the Cox family who used to worship at this church, they asked her would she like to come to Sunday school and so as a result of her coming to Sunday school she comes into the life of the church. But she was only a little girl. How old, Trace, do you remember? How? Five. How old was this guy here at that time? Brett. (laughs) This genealogy reminded us that God had Rebecca planned out for Isaac right then. Did God have a plan for Tracy and Brett? Did he have a plan that involved Emma and Megan? Of course he did and they were five and six years old. Don't ever tell me God doesn't have plans for us. I was thinking about you, Chris, and I was thinking that uh, Chris didn't know Kat, but they're now married. They have little Liam. Now, Rachel, our daughter, and Kat became friends at university and Chris met Kat through that friendship circle. Did God have a plan in all that? Of course he had a plan in it. He knew. Now I'd say that Pat and Ian Cox ought to be very, very pleased with what came out of God's plan for them getting their neighbours' kids to come to church. And I'd say that Rachel should be thrilled in her heart to know that God used her to bring Chris and Kat together and to, to introduce them so that God could then take it the next step in their lives. No, God has a plan and a purpose for everything that happens to us. Never forget it. There's lots of others I could think of but I won't for the sake of time. I just want to make a comment about chapter 23. Chapter 23 gives us a picture of another test. It's another test of Abraham. Sarah was 127. Abraham was 137. They'd been married for 100 years. You said 37, we've gone 40, 
Others here are much more than that, 50. Who's 60? Rob and Mary and Bill and Gwen, isn't that fantastic? But 100 years for Abraham and Sarah and Sarah dies and the challenge, he, he grieves, he weeps for her and his life partner is dead. And Hebrews 11 tells us, gives us an insight again into this man. He knows that those who go uh, before him go to a better place. He, he knew that. It says in chapter 11 of Hebrews, Abraham believed that she'd gone to a better country and Abraham desired to bury Sarah in the promised land. So we have this Middle Eastern bargaining going on I'd like to buy some land. No, sir, you don't have to buy it. We'll give it to you. Well, they had no intention of giving it to him. That wasn't what they were going to do. But they had to go through this ritual. And so then comes, you've got to pay 400 shekels, was it? 400, I can't remember now, something like that. And so Abraham agrees, yes, I'll pay the money. And it could have been over the top, might have been more than it was worth. I don't know. There was no bargaining. But this process went on. We won't get into that now, but there's something I want to say about it and finish. Um, it's the only bit of real estate that I understand that Abraham ever had a legal title to, the only bit of real estate that he owned. And do you want to know what happened with that bit of real estate? This is where Isaac and Ishmael buried Abraham. He buried Sarah there in the promised land. Isaac and Rebekah were both buried here at that point. Jacob buried Leah there. And Joseph buried Jacob there. And it's here that Joseph told his descendants when he died after they'd gone back down into Egypt, he said, don't bury me here, take me back to the promised land and bury me there. And it was years and years and years they carted those bones around in the desert before they got back. Where did they bury him? They buried him in this place here that Abraham had bought. Only bit of real estate he ever had. But Abraham spent his life not in gaining possessions but in the pursuit of knowing God, being obedient, devoted to him, trusting him, developing his faith and may we do likewise. Abraham learnt that throughout his life how to trust God's promises when he could, always, could not always understand his purposes. And as you go away today, trust God's promises even though you do not always understand his purposes. He has a plan, it involves you and I and for whatever reason he's thrust us as a group of people together in this church, he's brought David and Bev into our midst, we firmly believe that. God is in this thing, God is unravelling his plan and won't it be exciting to see the journey he takes us on through this coming year. Let's pray. Father, thank you that today we can have confidence that just as Abraham trusted you and you made a way of provision through that very difficult challenge that he had, you too make provisions for us in every aspect of our life. Help us to learn today to trust you more, to uh, recognise your plans and purposes in our lives and to go forward from this place today with a heart desire to honour you in all we say, think and do. Equip us for the week ahead. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.